The holiday of Easter, I'm not really thrilled we call it Easter, I have to tell you. Um, you know, for a while I was a big protester and said, I'm not calling it Easter. That has nothing to do with Jesus. You know, Easter has to do with, uh, you know, pagan holiday and fertility gods and things like that. But, I, you know, I'm going to call it Resurrection, you know, the re, you know Resurrection Sunday. Um, <clears throat> but I think what counts is, like, how we connect to it in our heart, whether we co- whatever the heck we call it. And, uh, and people understand what you mean when you say Easter. Um, but what happened and what we're celebrating this week, tonight, we're going to talk about the crucifixion, and Sunday we're going to have a special Easter service, changed my life you know, and radically changed my life. And I think what's most powerful, we're going to look at, um, you can turn to Matthew 26. You know, the crucifixion, I was also part of a church for a while that for some reason didn't want to talk about the crucifixion a lot. They were just all about skipping over that and connecting to the resurrection because somehow the crucifixion was negative and the resurrection was positive so you know let's kind of ignore the they they were and then I it was also a church that didn't believe in crosses that were just like that's sick you know magnifying the object of execution and but to me I mean um, I really like the cross now because I feel like It's important that we take in what Jesus Christ gave. It's important that that hits us and that that impacts us. And I think the cross symbolizes that. It it symbolizes the sacrifice. It symbolizes the suffering. We all get it when we see what the cross is. I think God didn't mean us to skip over it because there is no period of time as far as the, you know, from the time that Jesus was taken in Gethsemane till the time he was crucified that has more volumes of things written about it in the Bible except for the crucifixion by like a lot. You know, it's crazy. It's, it's so magnified in scripture as far as the detail that it goes into, into this event that I, I believe that God really wanted us to really, really take it in and to spend time pondering it and to let it move us and let it affect us. Um, in Matthew 26, oh, and then the other thing that I think really impacts me, as we'll see in the record, it's not, you know, it's a huge thing that Jesus Christ gave his life, Um, but I think one of the things that's so impactful about it is because of how good and loving Jesus was. It's like he spent his life doing nothing but loving and giving and serving you know, people like, and and so it makes it even more astounding when we look at what he endured. And the, cru- the, the, the sacrifice and the crucifixion is not meant to be generic. It did cover for all of us, for all of our sins, and it was, and he did give his life for all of us. But it's just as what Lachey was talking about in worship, it's just, it is just as personal as if he did it if it was only you. And so as we relate to that and think about that, of you know, and that, that's a really a lot that changed my life when I really got it, that, um, that all that he gave, um, you know, it's, it's as if he did it just for me. 
And in Matthew 26, um, we start in Gethsemane. Um, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, <clears throat> in verse 36, it says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Now, I, you know, I just love even from the very beginning, because Jesus knew what he was about to face. Jesus knew very graphically what he was walking into because the Old Testament had such specific, vivid details about the torturing, about the suffering. It's, there were prophecies, really explicit prophecies um, that talked about the fact that he was so going to be so beat up that you could not recognize that he was a human being, kind of like roadkill. Do you know what I mean? When you see roadkill and you go, what was that? That's, the, that's what it's talking about as far as when you see, like, that it's, you can't even, you know, it, he's unrecognizable as a, as a person that he would be beaten so much. Um, so he had read that and knew what he was up against. And I love it. One of the things that's really, really interesting to me, and you see throughout this record, that Jesus asked for, for help for his friends to be there. I mean, hey guys, how, where do we get thinking we can go it alone? Jesus, like, had enough need. He didn't have pride. He didn't, you know, you know, to go and seriously, like, think about this. How do we think we don't need others to be there? I mean, Jesus is the only begotten son of God. His friends were not the only begotten son of God. But he was still seeking them and asking them, as you see in this record, for help to be there because of the fact that this, Jesus was a man and he's looking ahead at what he's about to do. And just because he was born without sin doesn't mean that he was a robot. Doesn't mean that he was looking at this going, piece of cake, no biggie. Doesn't mean that he didn't feel pain. So... Part of this is like, it really helps because he had the same feelings that we do. You know, he's just a person. So think about what it would be like if you knew. Honestly, guys, I, I, you know what's really funny is, um, thinking about all this uh, doctor stuff, I go into some major panic things just getting a needle. Do you know what I mean? Like, or just like the, an the anxiety or the anticipation. And so think about knowing ahead of time what in graphically what you're going to go through what that would be like <clears throat> leading up. So he asks his friends to support him in this and to pray with him. It says in verse 37, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, listen to this, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. I want you to think about for you personally, what would it be if you can imagine being overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, what, what would that might feel like? Some of us have probably experienced sorrow that has felt like that at times. You know, have you ever had a sorrow that felt like, you know, to the point of death? We think of Jesus as not having feelings. This is what he was going through in this moment, you know, and asking, and so it makes sense. It's, I love that he asked his friends to be there with him so he wouldn't be alone in this, in this, dark, in this really dark time. And then in verse 
39, it says, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So, and you know what, I also, it touches me that, and helps bring reality to it, that he was saying, God, is there another way to do this? You know, there are some times where, I mean, gosh, we, I just think about some of the things that we face that are so much smaller in some ways, but in thinking about, like, like the path that God set before us where there's great fruit on the other end, and sometimes there's pain going through it, you know, in some ways where it's not comfortable or where we have to endure, certainly nothing like this, but that he, you could see also just the honesty in his prayer life that he was okay with telling God how he felt about it. And just saying, this is hard. God, I don't, like, if there's some other way, let me know. But if there isn't, I'm willing, you know, to just sit there and just say, I'm willing if this is the only, the, you know, the only way to get there. And then it says in verse 40, then he re- then returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. God, that's just so sad. Can you imagine that this is what you're going through and this is what you're facing? You ask your friends, can you guys pray for me? I really need to not be alone right now. I need you to stay there in prayer. These are his closest friends. You know, and he's knowing what he's facing. And they're sleeping. He says, could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? Gosh, what do you think, what do you think it felt like for him to even say that to them? you know, of just letting them know how they let him down. He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. So that was sort of a sweet thing to say, like, I get your hearts there. (laughs) You know, but geez, really? Uh, In um, verse 42, it says, he went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back and he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy, so he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. And he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near that the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. God, I just, again, I mean, I, I think a lot in this because you've got the, the, the expectation, the pain and what he was going through and just caring because he cared. He had friends that he was close to and knew and all of that and just the sense of loneliness too, you know, of what he was walking, walking into. In verse 47, it says, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Friend, do what you came for. I can't imagine, oh God, I mean like the love that Jesus had for Judas still knowing what he was doing, knowing that somebody he had entrusted is somebody really close to him, and Jesus still cares and calls him friend in this. And knowing that of all the things to be chosen as far as a betrayal, 
you know, by a kiss, that Judas is playing it off like, hey, you know, we're all good, kind of a thing. And just think about, I mean, think about what it feels like for us to be betrayed by people that we care about. You know, I know that we've all experienced that. We've all experienced people that we really let in and got close to and trusted, you know, that turned on us or, you know, were not in in some kind of hard or harsh ways. This is pretty much as bad as it gets, though. Um, Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest cutting off his ear. That was Peter. Um, In verse 52, put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you not... Do you think I cannot call my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels, which is 72,000 angels? So I love, too, you really, really get that, for one, God did not demand this of Jesus, that Jesus went willingly, that it wasn't, that it was something that Jesus, Jesus said, if I wanted I could ask God right now, and he would send 72,000 angels to, to rescue me from this. So we get the sense of, of Jesus absolutely doing it willingly all the way and knowing that he had a choice all the way along in this. It says, but how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? In verse 55, and in another, there's... In all the Gospels, they have different pieces of this, so we're only actually going to hit on Matthew, which doesn't cover every single detail of the record because all four Gospels have quite a bit of material on it. But Jesus heals the guy's ear that gets Peter cuts off, which is amazing, too, as far as how Jesus was still there and loving and healing. And in verse 55, it says, At that same time, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have to come out with swords <clears throat> and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets may be fulfilled. So I love, too, that you know these guys are coming out, and they're being shady. Do you know what I'm saying? Like He's like, I was right up in your faces every day, right in front of you. You know, you could have grabbed me any old time. So really, he's like, you know, I'm sitting here completely unarmed and you need to come at night with this whole, you know, bunch of people and weapons and everything. I, get, I love that he calls them out on their BS in a way. You know, that he's not, you know, that there's just, he's just not letting them get by with that. But saying uh, that this is a part of what's been prophesied to happen. Um, Now, I want to skip down because there's a whole bunch of stuff. um, And you see in verse uh, 56 that his friends all left at that point, which is also pretty sad. And then he appears before the Sanhedrin, and that's the place where one of the things that that hits me is while he was there, um, they, they spit in his face, and they hit him with their fists. They had put... Um, cloth over his head and punched him and joked around going prophesy who hit you you know guys we're just taking shots could you imagine just sort of like of like making fun of the fact that yeah see now if you can can you prophesy this boom can you prophesy that boom you know who's hitting you and he just again the whole time he could have had the 72,000 angels and he just 
took it. Um, so after a night of that, we're going to go down to verse, um, uh, in 27, verse 11. That was in uh, where he goes before Pilate. Now, it's interesting because somebody was just asking me the other day as far as what was going on with Pilate because, um, as we get to that, because the Romans were ruling this area, but they're ruling an area where, you know, all the people that are living there are Jews that they're ruling, not all the people. Um, so there's a dynamic there because the Romans are in charge, and as you know, the famous story that Pilate really wasn't a fan of crucifying Jesus, as we're going to see. But, and so people ask, like, why would he go through it? It's very similar, if you think about it, like when we've seen countries that occupy other peoples. You know, like what happened with England and South Africa for a while. Do you know, it's just sort of like if you've got, to some degree, if, if you've got people coming in from another land ruling another people, you still have to deal with trying to keep some peace, you know. Um, and Matthew... Uh, 27, verse 11, it says, Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even, a single, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now, it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas, who happened to be a murderer, by the way. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. And as you can see as it plays out, it, he's probably thinking, well, I'm going to put this you know, horrible murderer here and Jesus here and hopefully they'll feel stupid and pick the right one. Um, and in verse 19 it says, when Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, don't have anything to do with that innocent man for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Now I think about this because why, like, why would you think that she, his wife would have a dream about this even? Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a, like, just ponder that. You know, it's sort of interesting because a lot of times we see where God speaks in dreams, but this was something where, you know, God was sort of knew that this was supposed to go forward. So I don't know about that, but I think about, like, you know, if it wasn't something that God was speaking, you know, which I wouldn't think uh, possibly, but it doesn't seem um, likely. But to me, it really underscores how innocent he was. Do you know what I'm saying? Like where it would trouble her so much when she went to sleep and saw her husband. You know when something, it just eats at you and it's disturbing. It's disturbing that it's so unjust or so unrighteous or so unsettling. And so I was thinking, because I was thinking about that, like for her to be that motivated in a dream to say, I had a dream, please, I'm begging you not to do this. This man is innocent. You know, please don't back this up. I, you know kind of thing. Um, in verse 20, it says, but the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, said the governor. Barabbas, they answered. 
What should I do then with Jesus, who is called the Christ, Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted louder, crucify him. Now think about this. Again, Jesus is alone. His friends are gone. He has spent how long? You know, weeks and weeks and days and days healing people miraculously, loving people, ministering to people, changing people's lives. And he's got this massive crowd. I mean, think about what that would be like, screaming and getting crazier and crazier to crucify him when he has he absolutely done nothing wrong. Um, I mean, I think about sometimes, you know, when we've been wronged or when we've been wrongly accused or things like that that feel so unrighteous or so unjust, this is just so beyond. It, it's the, it, the intensity of how unrighteous or how unjust this is is crazy. And also just what it would have been like for Jesus going through all this. When Pilate saw he was getting nowhere, but then instead an uproar was starting. I mean, can, can you see the, the craziness that's happening, the crowds? This was intense, guys, and, and Jesus is listening to all this. He took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It's your responsibility. And all the people answered, let his blood be on us and our children. <clears throat> then they re- he released Barabbas to them and had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Now, floggings, Romans floggings, um, were famous for being so brutal. They were done typically with pieces of metal or bone, cat of nine tails. They do 40 lashes that a lot of time, most people never survived the floggings. That's how intense the floggings were. I mean, they just ripped your flesh to bits. And, um, and then we get to verse 27. It says, Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus to the paratorium and, and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and they took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. Now, a couple things in just the details of this. For one, he has been whipped, whipped. He's got clothing. Now, think about what happens. You've got clothing on blood, on open wounds, flesh, they're ripping that off, putting another, you know, robe on top of him. You, you guys know what the, you know, wounds feel, feel like. And then making a crown of thorns, you know. Now, I've, I've heard that heads bleed pretty easily. I don't know. But, um, but imagine then they just to make fun of him that they're putting a crown of thorns and then using a staff to, the staff to beat him and beat him and make fun and say oh hail king of the Jews you know laughing you know what like and Jesus is just standing there you know he's just standing there like how much would that have hurt that you just want to love people you know and to be accused like this to be ridiculed like this you know, and I think about this, Jesus, and you see this as the record continues, the people he gave his life for were those guys teasing him too. He was laying down his life for every single one of those guys, beating him and mocking him that stood there and they had no clue. You know what, one day they're going to be face to face with Jesus. You know, they'll see him again. Wouldn't want to be in their shoes. 
I mean, just as far as just the sadness. I mean, just I, I can't imagine as far as just what it would feel like knowing, you know, that you sat there and mocked, you know, mocked him like that. They struck him on the head again and again. Um, so by this time, you can imagine he was looking pretty bad. Between the punches in the face, between the whippings and the floggings, and between the crown of thorns and then bashing the crown into his head with the staff. Um, then they ripped off the robe, again off the wounds, and put his clothes on him and then led him away to crucify him. In verse 32, as they were going out, they met a man uh, from Cyrene named Simon who enforced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. They offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes, casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Now, it's also interesting because this specifically is prophesied in the Old Testament that this is what would happen, is that they would um, cast lots for his clothes when he was crucified. So this was like thousands of years beforehand that this was written and prophesied about before it ever happened. Um, Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, king of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself, come down off that cross if you are the son of God. Now, mind you, crucifixion was a bad way to die. You know, they, you know, because you're talking about nailing putting nails in your wrists and your feet, people typically died by, by suffocating in hanging there. I mean, it was a brutal, painful, agonizing, slow death, slow way to die. So as he's hanging there, people are walking by making fun. He's standing there and everybody's like, ha ha. Can you imagine they're, they're even telling him things like, oh, if you were the son of God, why don't you get off? What are you still hanging there for? You know? Yeah, some son of God, you are hanging there like that. They even said, in the same way, the chief priests and the teachers and the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. How must that felt for Jesus to be hearing that right now? Do you know what I'm saying? Because part of it, you've got to know, like he knows what his purpose is. He knows why he's doing it. But to know that they don't get why he's doing it. You know, that let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. Man, you know who that sounds like, doesn't it? It sounds like Satan. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, talk about the temptation of what would it feel like if it was you up there? You know what I'm saying? And somebody said, we'll believe if you just get off the cross right now. And you had the power to do it. Do you know what I mean? That, in some ways, I mean, think about that. Like, what that would feel like to just sit there and go, oh. We'll believe, just get down now. You know? And again, Jesus, when you think about it, he gave his life for those people doing that. He was looking at all of those people. And even as he, you know, as he died in, it, uh, in one of the other records where he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Like he was sitting there forgiving people that was, were as cruel and as ruthless and as brutal and as hateful as could possibly be. And his heart was absolutely filled with love in being willing to give his life right then for them. 
you know, I relate to this. I really do. I, you know, that this is what impacted me, as I told you a few weeks ago, um, when we were talking about Romans. It was the concept that I was one of the mockers. You know, I felt so convicted. When I read this record, I see me in there. You know, I see me in mocking Jesus and making fun of him and making fun of, just totally making fun of him. And when I got that he gave his life for me, even doing that, gosh, I've just never known love like that before. Um, in verse 43, he trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. In verse 45, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, which is noon to three, darkness came over the land. And I wonder about that. Like, why would darkness come over the land? It's not really, noon to three is not darkness, do you know, coming over the land. But it's interesting that it says that. It doesn't, it doesn't explain why. But these are things, you know, sometimes I just like to wonder about some of these things when I'm reading them. But, you know, it made me wonder about if that was God. You know what I'm saying? Like just how God was feeling about what was going on. You know, that that was indicative of, you know, just how dark this was to see. How must God have felt seeing his son going through this and giving his life and that God's doing it for all of us and all those mockers and all of those people. The God is saying, I'm giving you my son, and they don't get it. God, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm thinking God has to be like, <gasps> you know. I mean, God's spirit, but it's interesting that God chooses to describe himself also as having feelings. You know, even though he's a spirit power that's kind of not like a person or anything like that, much bigger and vaster than we could possibly ever imagine. But I would think about what, how God must have been like seeing his son there. I don't know. It doesn't say God did it, but it makes me wonder because it's not normal for the earth to be dark from 12 to 3. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabatani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's the first, the, the first verse of Psalm 22 that goes into... If you read that psalm, it actually has a very vivid description of the crucifixion, and it's a, one of the many prophecies about what happens to the Lord. And it, taught, and it begins like that, and if you read it, you know, I'd, I'd encourage you to read it sometime because you'd be blown away at how much it's identical, even though it was written, you know, uh, many, many years before this happened. And then when some were standing there heard this, they said, he's calling to Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. They filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered Jesus to drink. Now the rest said, now leave him alone. See if Elijah comes to save him. When Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And then in one of the other Gospels, it talks about when he, um, like I say, because there's little pieces that kind of fill in for what we just read. It says that he said, it is finished, that the words, it is finished. And so as soon as he died and gave up his life on the cross, that it was finished, your redemption and mine. It says in the next verse that the veil of the temple was, was rent. The veil was the thing that separated the holies of holies, the dwelling place of God, from people. It was the most holy space. And so when Jesus 
was crucified and died, that the, that the veil was ripped open, because what he did and what he gave gave us access to God. Like, he paid the price. This, right now, and what he walked through, why would he do all this? I can't even imagine, like, the intensity of this experience, the loneliness, the physical agony that he went through. And yet, as he's doing it, and all these people are mocking him, that he's sitting there getting it, that he's doing it and giving his life for those people that were mocking. You know, that that's how much love that he had for all of us. And so... It was. It was the greatest sacrifice ever made because there was the most innocent of all. Like, it's, there's no way that he deserved any of this. He did nothing but good and nothing but love. And that it was a free will choice that he gave. But in that, like, in that, it's like this is how we feel love beyond anything. It's how I've felt love beyond anything. I never experienced love beyond seeing Jesus Christ and what he gave. It's why this time period is just time to just reflect of what that means to you. You know, of just letting, just let that love in. Do you know what I mean? Like just allow yourself to receive it. Allow yourself to think and ponder on these things that Jesus Christ did that if it was just you. If you're a mocker, he did it for if it was just you. You know, like so many times we, yeah, are we undeserving? Yeah, we all are. It's not like we deserve the, you know, Jesus Christ giving his life for us, but he chose to do it. It's been done. So there's, so at this point, it's just might as well take it in and receive it and just let yourself be loved. This is the love that finally fills our tank. You know, the more and more that we can really allow ourselves to take in the gift and get that we really are loved this much, that fills, that fills up those holes, the black holes, the empty holes, because that's the love that never, ever goes away. And we can have that all the time. People come and go. Obviously, they even came and went in Jesus Christ in his life, you know, as far as people not being there for you, you know. They weren't there for him in those times, too. But Jesus can be there for you and for me in all of these times. So um, let me pray. And uh, Heavenly Father, I am in complete amazement and um, it's staggering to think. I don't know how you did it, uh, God. I really don't. Um, To give your son... And Jesus, I like what you did on that cross and your love, I will never forget. Um, I'm amazed because I definitely, I never ever want to be in a place that I am not taking that in or that I'm not, I mean, I know I don't take it in all the time, but I, where I'm not, where I'm ever calloused. I don't ever want to be calloused to the gift that you gave and to all that you went through and and how much you loved us. Um, Truly, it's been your love that's filled me up and made my life new and meaningful and purposeful. Um, I'll never forget it. It feels like yesterday when I came to know you, Lord. Um, I was changed and transformed immediately and healed and... Your love was so overflowing inside of me. And I know that that's like you are a fountain of living waters that with unlimited supply. And that you are for each and every person here. Lord, I just ask right now that you, 
become more real and make yourself more known. Um, Jesus, that, that your arms are outstretched right now to each and every one of us, just desiring to embrace us, um, that each person is one of a kind to you and a treasure to you, and that you want a relationship with everyone here in a deeper, closer one. And Lord, I just ask that we more and more, you know, it's hard because our hearts get hard sometimes from the world and from the things of the world to let you in and to let your love in. And and to I just ask you to help us open our hearts more to you and to let you in into more and more places, Lord. Um, I thank you for this time and this week that we can give you reverence and glory because truly you deserve it. You so, so deserve it for all that you gave and how much you've changed our lives, Lord. And I especially um, uh, thank you for, two Sunday where we're going to celebrate your resurrection and um, you're getting up from the dead because one of the great things is that you didn't stay dead, that you did get up three days later. So, um, Lord, I thank you for these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.